Hi, this is filmmaker and author Michael Morin. Whenever I'm not riding my bike around the Davis campus, I'm listening to KDVS College Radio right here. FM. Cool. This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program. On today's show, we're going to get by with a little help from our friends, we think. We expect to uh, speak with uh, a couple of our regulars. That would be Lisa Pease, our investigative reporter from Los Angeles. will be talking to us in our third segment today. We expect to hook up with our good pal, Dr. Andy Jones, in segment B. And uh, someone we've never spoken to before, but uh, we probably should have, will be joining us. That will be Jeff Shaw, who is the station director of KDIRT, our lower power radio station operating right here in Davis. We'll be talking to Jeff in our second segment today. We are striving valiantly to get a call through to uh, uh, one of our old pals, Senator Joe Lieberman in Connecticut. We hope we'll be able to reach him in time to have us talk to us before the end of the hour. Let us commence the program as we like to do with, on this date in history, this being September 7th, in the year 1191, during the Third Crusade, Richard the Lionheart's forces rout the army of Saladin at Arsuf. This was apparently one of the few clear-cut victories by the Crusaders over the armies of the Saracens occupying the Middle East. We actually did a segment on the whole history of the Crusades on this program a couple of years back, and of course, by and large, the Crusades were just a, a series of, of fiascos. The Muslim leader Saladin uh, basically outfoxed the Crusaders' armies, but apparently Richard uh, the Lionheart did impress them with his military prowess. And in recognition of State Senator Sheila Kuehl's recent efforts to make sure that a person's sexual orientation is taught in the history books, we would point out that King Richard was gay. He also spoke French, even though he was the English king. And a little over six centuries later, September 7, 1812, French General Napoleon Bonaparte defeats Russian forces under General Kutuzov in the bloody Battle of Borodino. This opened the way to Moscow, only 70 miles further east. In fact, because you're listening to KDVS, we're going to take a moment here for a bit of a digression on the Battle of Borodino. And I want to quote from one of my favorite history texts, Asimov's Chronology of the World, The History of the World from the Big Bang to Modern Times by Isaac Asimov. If you don't have this book in your home library, you really ought to go out and snag one. To quote from the text, At Borodino, a hundred miles west of Moscow, Kutuzov made his stand. A bloody battle was fought there on September 7th. More men were killed in battle on that day than in any battle in history up to then or for 100 years thereafter. It would, in fact, take the machine gun-directed slaughter of World War I to equal this terrible day on uh, the battlefields of Russia. 
per Asimov, when it was over, the French held the battlefield and the Russians retreated. Because of this, the Battle of Borodino is accounted as a French victory, especially since three Russians died for every two Frenchmen. However, the Russians could replace their losses and the French could not. With only 95,000 men left in the invading army, not quite one-sixth of the starting mass, and with no hope of reinforcements, Napoleon staggered into Moscow on September 14th. He was convinced that despite his losses, he had achieved his aim and that the Russian government would now have no choice but to ask for terms. Things, however, did not go well. Asimov goes on to explain that by December, Napoleon is forced to retreat back to France with only 10,000 of his original army of 600,000. And I don't know what it is about this date in history, but on September 7, 1940, 300 German bombers raid London in the first of 57 consecutive nights of World War II bombing. The London Blitz would continue until May 1941. Boy, I don't know what it is about this date in history, but I sure hope next week's show, September 14th, has a cheerier track record. I think we need to cheer things up after that. So let's go to one of our favorite, Rodney Dangerfield. Let's get a couple quotes from Rodney. I think three will do. All right, number one. My wife only has sex with me for a purpose. Last night she used me to time an egg. Uh, my wife's such a bad cook, the dog begs for Alka-Seltzer. And... Last night my wife met me at the front door. She was wearing a sexy negligee. The only trouble was she was coming home. All right, I guess those will do as our, our jokes of the day. Our statistic of the day is a number of responses we got to last week's program suggesting that you tell us what you'd like to see changed about Radio Parallax. And that was a total of three responses. And I, I would like to read one of them uh, to you because this was such a doggone pleasant surprise. Douglas, I've been an avid listener of your show via podcast for about a year. I listen whilst commuting on the Greater Manchester Metrolink tram system into the city from the suburbs in Manchester, UK. On last week's show, you asked if anything about it should be changed. My answer is most definitely not. I love the content, especially the interviews, even though I have no idea who most of the interviewees are. The humor is great, as are the politics. It's good to hear that not all Americans... And if the vote-rigging scandals are correct, not many Americans agree with the stance of your current government. Keep up the good work. John H., Manchester, UK. Well, John, we appreciate very much you're taking the time uh, to, to write us and are really pleasantly surprised to know that, uh, that our program uh, airing here in Davis through the miracle of the podcasting system uh, can, be, can be listened to on the Metrolink tram in Manchester. It is really wonderful to note that with the miracle of, of the Internet, uh, you know, you can reach around the world. I know France has gotten some response uh, from, from people listening in Finland. Uh, we get responses from all over the United States. But it's great to know that, uh, that people across the Atlantic are, are listening to what we do. This really is particularly pleasing because John H. admitted in the letter that he's never been to the USA, but does hope one day to visit Davis. It can certainly be hard work uh, for Mr. McMillan and myself to produce this show week in and week out, but you get a letter like that and you just, you know, you just feel pretty darn good about it. But we would like to get more feedback as to what you uh, like or don't like about this program because, you know, we're doing our best to, uh, 
to serve you, the listening public. Please keep those emails coming to info at radioparallax.com. And we would remind uh, you that, uh, like John H., you can listen to most of the programs we've done here uh, at KDVS on our website, radioparallax.com. We have something like 140 shows there, podcast. I think I need to read you an email on a much different subject just sent out of the blue by uh, by, by a listener, Tony. <laughs> just it just has to be uh, has to be commented on. This is not a new essay. It apparently was written in October of 2002. It's been circulated on the web, but it just it just got to us uh, the other day. But it goes as follows: Dr. Laura Schlesinger is a radio personality who dispenses advice to people. Recently, she said that as an observant Orthodox Jew, homosexuality is an abomination, according to Leviticus 18.22, and cannot be condoned under any circumstance. The following is an open letter to Dr. Laura penned by an East Coast resident which was posted on the Internet. Dear Dr. Laura, thank you for doing so much to educate people regarding God's law. I've learned a great deal from your show and try to share that knowledge with as many people as I can. When someone tries to defend the homosexual lifestyle, for example, I simply remind them that Leviticus 18.22 clearly states that it is an abomination. End of debate. I do need some advice from you, however, regarding some of the other specific laws and how to follow them. I have a neighbor who insists on working on the Sabbath. Exodus 35.2 clearly states that he should be put to death. Am I morally obliged to kill him myself? Leviticus 21.20 states that I may not approach the altar of God if I have a defect in my sight. I have to admit that I wear reading glasses. Does my vision have to be 20-20 or is there some wriggle room here? I would like to sell my daughter into slavery as sanctioned in Exodus 21.7. In this day and age, what do you think would be a fair price for her? And... Leviticus 25.44 states that I may indeed possess slaves, both male and female, provided they are purchased from neighboring nations. A friend of mine claims this applies to Mexicans, but not Canadians. Can you clarify? Why can't I own Canadians? Anyway, there's, there's quite a few more. It was signed, Your Devoted Fan, Jim. And he concluded by saying, to Dr. Laura, I, I know you've studied these things extensively, so I'm confident you can help. Thank you again for reminding us that God's Word is eternal and unchanging. And yes, ladies and gentlemen, for the record, slavery is very clearly sanctioned in the Bible as okay. All right, let's do the good, the bad, and the ugly. Last week was a good week for avoiding global warming when California Governor Arnold Schwarzenegger, frustrated by the lack of action from fellow Republican President Bush on reducing heat-trapping gases, teamed up with the state's Democratic majority on a landmark bill. This is the first bill in the United States that's aimed at capping man-made greenhouse gas emissions. It's an action state leaders hope will be copied by other states across the country. 
The Global Warming Solutions Act of 2006 puts California at the forefront of the fight against climate change along with the European Union and increases pressure on Washington to impose mandatory caps rather than the voluntary measures favored by Bush. According to the Week magazine, last week was a bad week for free enterprise after a Connecticut town banned a teenager from selling earthworms to supplement his allowance. Joe Kaju, 13, said his nightcrawler business at its peak had revenues of between $5 and $10 a month from local fishermen. But because he erected a sign in his front yard, an 18 by 18 inch cardboard square reading nightcrawlers, the town of Cromwell, Connecticut shut him down for a zoning infraction. Zoning Commissioner Al Diaz said, Could you should have applied for a permit? Chiropractors do that. Lawyers do that. Doctors do that, Diaz said. And, and then you're allowed to put up a sign. And uh, last week was an ugly week for news anchors when CNN anchor Kyra Phillips... <laughs> with her wireless microphone, paid a visit to the loo while CNN aired President Bush's speech from New Orleans. For a minute or so, her voice commingled with his as she was heard telling an unidentified woman how great her husband is, then mentioned that her sister-in-law is a control freak. Only then was she alerted that her mic was live. As an addendum to this story, uh, <laughs> Kyra Phillips shortly afterward appeared on, on The Late Show with David Letterman, where she actually read the top ten list of excuses for the mishap. So according to David Letterman, the top ten Kyra Phillips excuses were... Number ten, still haven't mastered complicated off-on switch. Number nine, Larry King told me he does this all the time. <laughs> Skipping to number seven... I honestly never knew this sort of thing was frowned upon. Six, couldn't resist chance to win $10,000 on America's Funniest Home Videos. Number four, oh, like you've never gone to the bathroom and had it broadcast on national television. Number two, okay, so I was drunk and couldn't think straight. And number one, top ten Kyra Phillips excuses, you have to admit, it made the speech a lot more interesting. All right, that's it for the good, the bad, and the ugly. And speaking of uh, of speeches from New Orleans, we like uh, we like our good friend Tom Burka's take on this from his website, Opinions You Should Have. Headline: Bush vows to keep making speeches, promising to save New Orleans. Dateline, New Orleans, August 29th. President Bush, addressing the nation on the anniversary of New Orleans' devastation by Hurricane Katrina, promised a never-ending flow of empty rhetoric to the areas that need it most. He vowed to continue speechifying about New Orleans even after New Orleans is long gone and to do whatever was necessary to convince the American people that he was doing whatever was necessary. We gotta get Tom back on the show. All right, we reported on last week's show about the, the demotion of Pluto to the status of dwarf planet. We hope very much to bring you Brian Marsden 
of the Minor Planets Center in Boston to talk about this decision, which, which we agree with. Um, we hope to do that in the weeks to come, but we would note in the meantime, if you're keeping score, that Pluto remains a planet for Myanmar's leading astrologers. According to reports uh, published three days ago, Dateline Yangon, Myanmar, formerly known as Rangoon, Burma. Myanmar's leading astrologers say they still consider Pluto a planet despite what scientists elsewhere in the world have decided. Pluto has traditionally been defined as a planet in astrology and it will retain that status. Yu Twin Lin, president of the Myanmar Astrologers Association, was quoted as saying in the Myanmar Times. Well, there you have it. That's just the way it is in the world sometimes. The International Astronomic Union decides one thing, whereas the Myanmar Astrologers Association decides another. So, dear listener, you make the call. All right, for a truly fascinating science article, we would like to refer you to New Scientist magazine, the August 26th to September 1st issue, the, the cover story on addiction. Titled Hooked, Why Your Brain is Primed for Addiction. Very interesting. As scientists figure out how our reward centers in the brain work, we are understanding why we engage in compulsive behaviors. Things like smoking tobacco, gambling, uh, drinking, drug addiction. But also things like exercise, shopping, sex. Um... You know, we, we've, we've all known people who uh, have problems cutting back on certain activities. They are, in essence, uh, addicted. Uh, that term has been thrown around, but the article uh, notes that uh, while we all think we know what's meant by that term, addiction, surprisingly, there's no scientific consensus still about how to define substance addictions, let alone behavioral ones. Some medical definitions consider addiction a disease, while others consider it a hijacking of the normal reward system in the brain. This story has gotten really curious of late. We reported on this to you when it was discovered that certain medications for Parkinson's disease were inducing addictions in people. They became crazily addicted to gambling. Uh, fascinating story. We don't have time to really go into this today, but... Um, this is one we need to return to, so we're going to put that one on the shelf, on the back burner, and uh, and try and do it justice in a future program. We're going to try and bring back uh, Dr. Howard McKinney. He's a guy I'm sure that will have a thing or two to say on this topic. Let's take a short break. You're listening to Radio Parallax here on KDVS 90.3 FM, Davis, Sacramento. I'm Douglas Everett.